Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey guys, it's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. No, we don't. And that's okay. And today we are talking to someone very interesting. But first, Candace, I want to ask you, do you have any tattoos? <laughs> I do. I know. I, I'm such a rebel. They're so hardcore. I have a teeny tiny little bird on my wrist. And I had a star on my foot, but I got it removed. It was really important to me to get it removed before I got married to Joe. And just to clarify, this star on your foot didn't represent another boy or anything no, like that. No, 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 no. But that it plays into why I got it removed. Um, I so I, I yeah, I got this little like bird on my wrist, which I love. And I actually I was 18. I walked into Mark Mahone's tattoo shop with this little printout of a baby bird, like a little dove flying. I was in like this white prairie dress and I was like, hi, I just turned 18 and I want to get a tattoo. And he was like, "Okay, well, you're putting it on your wrist the wrong way. And I was like, well, I don't care. This is what I want. And he was a jerk. He did it in two seconds. It wasn't Mark Mahone. It was whoever was working there that day. Did it in two seconds. I left. It was in the middle of the afternoon. I couldn't have been more like sober and just listening to Tom Petty and like learning to fly, you know, just playing into the whole thing that I was now 18 and spreading my wings and getting tattoos. So that was my first tattoo. But my second tattoo, I uh, thought it'd be fun with a friend. We both were like, hey, should we just drink a bunch of alcohol and go get tattoos tonight? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, <laughs> that is how we walked from my apartment to Sunset Boulevard. And if you're my stepdaughters, pretend you're not listening to this. Uh, but yes, we were intoxicated. And I was around 19 years old. And I uh, got a star tattoo 
on my foot because I just was like, we're in Hollywood and the stars are among us. They're not in the sky. I mean, it was just, you know, very drunk, rambly. This was like my genius. I know. I know. I know. But it was cute. It actually was cute. It wasn't a terrible tattoo until you asked if this had to do with a guy. Um, I was on a date years later. And um, I think it was even like maybe during Vampire Diaries. So this was like years later. And uh, we, you know, first date questions like, where are you from? And like, you know, what's your sign? I don't know what people talk about on dates anymore. But like one of the questions is usually like, do you have a tattoo? And so he said, do you have a tattoo? Just don't tell me it's a star on your foot. You'd be like a third girl I dated with a star on her foot. <gasps> This is a true story. Yes. How many, who knew so many people had stars on their feet? And then I realized a lot of people have stars on their feet. And uh, <laughs> it, I was, it crushed my soul. That was our first and last date. Cause I also like, he was nice and everything, but like, I no, I'm not going to be like the third girl that he's dated with a star on his foot. And he's like, I'm not going to date you with a star on your foot. And then uh. I just remember like, before like I had it I was like I'm gonna get this removed but I was working on Vampire Diaries at the time and it had already been established so I was scared to remove it and then I got over that before the wedding I was like I must remove the star from my foot to be a bride worthy of walking down the aisle to my future husband so that's it those are my hardcore tattoo stories no and ever since I've known you they're beautiful tattoos I've always thought they were really cute and fun and I loved the stories behind them what's so interesting is you how attached everyone becomes to their tattoos whether they're it's your your whole back or a tiny little star on your foot there's a personal story that goes with it I feel like you would get a tattoo no I know I feel like I'm like I know that you don't have any and like I feel like it would be like ironic if you would have but I feel like I could totally see you as one of those girls that is that looks like she doesn't have any tattoo but then has like 20 secretly that you like totally forget you have. <laughs> I've never gotten a tattoo. I have nothing against it. I'm very just vanilla and boring on this topic. I just <laughs> have never wanted one and I've never gotten them. And that's that. But I love okay. hearing everyone's stories behind them. But if you had to get one, like if you were forced to get one right now, what would you get? I mean, that's a weird because I'm, you know, a new mom. I have a two year old. I feel like I would get my daughter's name somewhere cute, but that's so boring. And and I'd probably regret it because I don't know if that's something I want on my body forever. I do like the idea of a star or a bird that has meaning behind it. I know a friend of mine who has a four leaf clover and her and all of the women in her family have it. It's very small on their ankle. And I've always thought that was really cute. It's sort of like this girl tribe empowering thing that all the women in her family have. So if I was a part of something like that, absolutely, I wouldn't hesitate. I think I've just never found something that meant enough to put on my body permanently. I don't know. Just cut to like five years from now. You're like, I'm addicted <laughs> to tattoos. <laughs> I'm all I've gotten so many. I'm up in Dr. Wu's studio. Let's do this. <laughs> Well, we're obviously talking about voluntary tattoos, um, but what the actual subject matter that we're talking about today are um, voluntary tattoos, but that are really coming from um, that are a result of trauma, essentially. And there is a tattoo artist who she's actually one of InStyle magazine's badass 50 women of the year of 2021 is how we found out about her. Um, and she is a badass. And we we are completely obsessed with the get, her gifts that she is giving to the world. She is healing survivors of trauma one tattoo at a time. You guys, today we are sitting down with Stacey Ray Weir. Like Candace said, she was named one of the baddest women of the year by InStyle Magazine. She's a creator, educator, author, and 25-year tattoo artist. Facing her own mastectomy in 2012, she's challenged the medical tattoo field to use their talents to heal and inspire. She's a pioneer in her field, championing areola restorative tattooing. She's an inspiration and a force, and we are honored to sit down and have a conversation with her today. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Stacey Ray Weir. And we are here with Stacy Ray Weir. Stacy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, so have we. Um, okay, so we're just going to jump right in. You know, every girl, every little girl wants a pony at some point <laughs> in their life. I mean, we dream about what it would be like. We ask our parents for one, to which, of course, most parents say no. 
or buy one yourself when you grow up or something of that nature. And that's the end of it. But you, your story begins with determination and a pony. Can you take us through this and how it brought you to become a tattoo artist? Oh, that's hilarious. What a great uh, way to start this off. Okay, so I did get the, oh, you want a pony? Buy your own, kind of <laughs> fresh off. And I was like, okay, how do I do that? Well, you need money. Okay, how do I get money? What's money? Uh, well, you need a job. Okay, how do I get a job? You know, I was just like, I did not see those as roadblocks. <laughs> I saw them as invitations. Little redhead me is like, challenge accepted. So I went looking, trying to get a job when I was like five years old. I was allowed to walk around my little hometown as long as I had my dog with me. So me and the dog went, <laughs> went down to the five and dine. And uh, they're like, well, how can you, how can we help you today? And I said, I need a job. And they said, okay, you can have a job. And I was like, that's it? Okay. <laughs> so I went home and I told my mom, I have a job. And she's like, oh yeah, when do you go to work? I was like, work, let's work. I got a job. Just leave me at that. You know, that was hard enough. <laughs> so my grandmother saw this and started um, a bank account for me and started teaching me how to save money. And the whole time I was drawing ponies and horses and daydreaming of the day that I'd be able to get on a fast horse and ride far, far away. And by the time I was nine years old, I had almost a thousand dollars saved. And I did buy myself that pony. Oh my goodness. Where did you put it? Well, that was like the challenge. So then my grandma's like, like this kid's been saving money. You told her to buy a <laughs> pony. You gotta, you're going to have to find a place to keep it. So my mom talked to her new husband. They weren't quite married yet. And she was like, we have to budget to put this horse somewhere, you know? And so they agreed to pay for the board as long as I bought the horse. And um, yeah, so I had, you know, everything I wanted. I had my pony and they paid for the board and the feed. And I knew how to draw horses pretty good by the time I was 10. And then I just kind of took it from there. And so when you say take it from there, I you went to go get a, you and your friend went to go get a tattoo and you saw the tattoo artist and how <laughs> they were drawing. And you thought, well, wait a minute, if they they're not, I think I can draw better than they can. And that's where your love uh, of tattooing became. Right. Yeah, yeah, because my parents were partiers, so I couldn't rebel by like drinking or anything. So I was like, I had to step the rebellion up a notch. So I went and got tattooed in a basement with a Walkman motor and guitar string. You're right. And uh, I was looking through the guy's drawings. So I'm like, man, I can draw better than this guy. I'm a kid and I can draw better than this guy. And then I got this horrible tattoo and I was like, that's it. I'm only going to do good tattoos on people. And I started hanging around the tattoo shop and drawing tattoo designs right away. I was only 14 years old and now wow. I'm 45 and I've just been in the tattoo field my entire life. So at that point, did you know, I want to be a tattoo artist? I know you, you did go into art school at some point uh, before you took a tattoo internship. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I graduated high school and pretty much went straight to art school just so because I couldn't get an apprenticeship. Um, and I, I just thought that if I if this is what I want to do, and it was, um, especially after Oatsy came out, they found this uh, Iceman. He was frozen. They found him in the Oatsal Alps in 91, I think. And uh, he was frozen for over 6,000 years and he was tattooed. So they used to use tattooing for healing. So I had an idea about being a tattoo artist, but once I saw this Oatsy thing and it used to be used for healing and shamanism and medicine, I was, I was locked. So I thought that the best way for me to be able to make myself someone worthy of an apprenticeship was to go to art school. So I did. And then in my halfway through my second year, I got offered an apprenticeship, which was what I was working towards. So I just left art school behind and jumped into apprenticeship in 1995. And I've been tattooing ever since. Back in 1995, what were the tattoos you were most often asked to create? <laughs> Yeah, it was a different time back then, for sure. People just got little stuff for the most part off the walls, just little flash, like little, like the hot stuff demon and maybe like dolphins. Tribal wasn't even popular yet then. I know, because I like, went straight to like the barbed wire and like all the yeah. boy band tattoos <laughs> and like this, you know, the, the, um, the Chinese symbols that everyone, you know, began to get. Yeah, that was in the 90s. I did so many of those. So many. 
<laughs> Take us through a little bit. I know um, in researching you, you talk a lot about this apprenticeship and how much it meant to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience and what did you learn about yourself and your art? Okay. Just in general, I had a mentor. So I started hanging around this tattoo shop when I first started drawing before I went to art school. And this guy kind of took me under his wing. His name is Trent. He's got to be my biggest inspiration and one of my biggest supporters because he believed in me. He was the first person who believed in me. And he had a real respect for tattooing and for the ancient aspect of tattooing. So he really instilled that in me to do it right. You know, take um, composition and flow and muscle structure into your designs. Like he, he just really like, I had a very respectful beginning because of him. And um, he still tattoos and he's still as passionate about it. So that's why I went to art school. I was like, I have to get a strong artistic foundation. So I'd already had a pretty strong foundation. I knew what it was like to be in a tattoo shop because I worked for free in his basically for four years before I went to art school. And so he got me an apprenticeship with uh, one of the guys that he was working with. He, um, he said, well, if you want to come out to Kelowna, come and meet Rob Thomas. So I went out to Kelowna. I met Rob Thomas, this other tattoo artist, a Canadian hero, Clint Danroth. He was just finishing his apprenticeship and Rob saw my work and said, yeah, I'll take you on. I'll teach you. So I had to move to that town to go and learn from him. The apprenticeship was about six months long because I had already had so much foundation from the four years I spent in tattoo shops. But I have my third apprentice right now and I'm training her for two years. So the training is so important and it's one of the things that's being missed these days. So people are really only learning the basics just so they can start tattooing people and kind of making money, but they're not being taught, you know, how to make needles anymore. They're not being taught how to, um, design large scale designs that work with the muscle structure and flow of a body with the mechanics of a body, like moving parts, like an elbow. So I'm just trying really hard to use my voice to try to keep the industry focused on the coolest parts of learning how to tattoo, which are all these really deep foundational parts rather than just kind of learning the basics on how to stick something on the skin, but not know the meaning behind it all. Do you think social media has changed that a lot? I mean, I feel like now there's like tattoo conventions. Maybe they've existed always, but I just remember being old enough to get a tattoo and not putting any thought into like, you know, the fact it was going to be there forever and who was putting it on my body and why I should care about the artist as opposed to just like going to like what was considered a cool tattoo shop. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, there's huge followings like fandoms of, of tattoo artists that um, you don't really have to be in the know. You can kind of discover a lot easier. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the thing that I think changed it was the TV shows back in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. Because all of a sudden, people are learning about this. It was an underground art pretty much before that. People would be scared to go in a tattoo shop. Like when I first started tattooing in the 90s, people would be like scared to tell me their idea because they'd be afraid that I wouldn't think that it was cool, you know? And then when it came into their living room and all of a sudden they can learn about this underground, scary kind of thing, um, for, you know, from the comfort of their own couch, then they start thinking they're little experts. They got like some, uh, they they got some techniques. uh, (laughs) They got some, uh, they think they have some knowledge about it, you know? And so what happened was people who had never gotten tattooed before started getting tattooed. Mm. So was that also around the time when women were getting like, um, makeup tattooed on their body, right? That, yeah. So I'm not in the permanent makeup field at all. I'm in the medical tattoo yeah. field. Yeah, um, no. So the permanent makeup stuff, um, I know it started in, it's, I think Mary Jane Hawk was one of the ones who really brought attention to that. She's been around for a really long time. I think she came into it in the 50s or 60s. And part of her story is really cool. I believe, I could be mistaken about this because it's been a while since I talked to her, but I believe that she needed a note from her husband to go down on the boardwalk to go to her job as a tattoo apprenticeship with with uh, Bert Grimm because like women walking alone um 
there was like something about it. Like just women didn't have the freedom that we have now. She's one of the ones who's paved the way. And women started getting body tattoos. Um, I mean, this has been around for 10, 20,000 years, but it came into pop culture when Lyle Tuttle did a little butterfly on Janis Joplin. And then he was in the Rolling Stones for it. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now, I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae, and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. Now, I want to take you to a time in your life in 2006. We've hit 1995. You did your apprenticeship. You um, were killing it in, in tattooing. And then, you know, 
life surprised you as it often does to all of us. And cancer came into your world. It turned your life upside down. Can you talk to us about your experience of coming to terms with your mother's diagnosis and how it in turn affected you as well? Yeah. So my uncle died of cancer, I think in late 2005. And it wasn't just a few months later, my mother got diagnosed with cancer. So it was like double whammy in the family, a small family. So when my mother got diagnosed, it just seemed like a random thing. I didn't really realize it had anything to do with me, even though we just lost her brother months before. Um, So right after she died, you know, watching somebody close to you go through the cancer process really gives you a different outlook on life. It kind of shakes you out of what you think is real and you have to look at things a lot differently. So when she died, we found out that she was BRCA1 positive. So that's a breast cancer gene. And then I was told immediately, like 10 days later, that I had to go and get some genetic testing and see a genetic counselor, genetic doctor. And uh, because I just watched her die, I was really fired up about not going through what she just went through. I went Mm. straight to the testing. And of course I was positive because I am my mother through and through. So they found a mass. So then I started getting all the tests. They found a mass in my breast that they thought was precancerous. And they were sending me in for MRIs every four months to monitor it. And I said, I'm a powerful manifester. If you guys are just waiting, I'm just waiting. I'm probably going to make this happen because I'm scared of it. You know, the fear can cause disease and illness, of course. And they were asking that people would consider preventative mastectomies a risk management measure. So rather than going through cancer and the tax on the Canadian health system that it is, because a lot of this stuff is covered, they were asking a lot of women to just kind of preemptively remove their breasts. So when they found this lump in me, I was like, yep, take them. I'm not having kids. Go ahead. I do not want to go through what my mother just went through. So I decided to have a prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. And that happened in 2012. How old were you? If you don't... Uh, I was 32 when my mom died. I was 35 by the time I lost my breasts. At that point, I mean, on one hand, you are taking your future into your own hands and saying, I, I'm going to end this here. And it is a preventative measure. But on the other hand, as women, it's hard to ignore like how I would love to say that ah, they're just breasts, whatever. But they're they're not, you know, they 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 mean something. It's interesting. I've had two children and just how they've evolved over the years. I'm just like, whoa, I care way more about my breasts and how they look and how they feel and how they are a part of me and define me more than I ever thought I would Um, at 35 years old. Um, what was the emotional toll that it took on you to, on one hand, take this incredible, powerful preventative measure, but on the other hand, um, have this newfound relationship by removing your breasts and then, and, and what that felt like emotionally? When I was younger, I had very large breasts and I didn't like them. So one of the reasons I had a mass in my breast was because I had scar tissue from a breast reduction when I was 23. When I had that breast reduction, I had some necrosis, which is like a death of tissue, and that's what causes scarring. And so the necrosis experience um, kind of made me separate from my body so I could just focus on living through this infection. And um, so then I had these scars. So I never really accepted my body. And this is probably energetically. I feel that we have a lot more power over ourselves energetically than we realize. We only start seeing it when we get older. And um, so I was disconnected from my body anyways. I joked around with my friends like, oh, it's a free boob job. But that was not how I felt with it. I was just trying to make light of it to make other people more comfortable with my choice. But the thing is, think about this. Think about it this way. When we're little girls, the first thing that changes between us and little boys is we have to wear a shirt and they don't, right? Out in the summer, running around, one summer comes along and we have to wear a shirt and they don't, and we don't know what the difference is. We're just told to shut up and wear the shirt. So there is 
most of our identity is around them. We don't realize, you know, we buy shirts that cover us up to the neck to, to like, if we don't want to be seen, we buy low cut shirts. If we do want to be seen, like we manipulate our outfits and our external appearance based on our feeling that day. So this is way more of our identity than I think we let ourselves believe every woman on the planet. I'm sure of it. And now that I lost, I lost my implants last year, they were the recalled ones. So I had implant reconstruction. I lost them last year. So now I'm aesthetic flat closures. So I'm completely flat and even indented. And, um, this has got to be the hardest version of myself to accept. I'm, I'm not doing a good job of it. <laughs> it's crazy when you say the hardest version of yourself, how many versions there have been. Because to start the story with the fact that you had such large breasts and needed the reduction to now being almost the opposite and being inverted, you have had the experience and the journey of learning to accept yourself in so many different forms. I know that there are girls out there listening right now that are having trouble accepting themselves, whatever form they're at. Can you talk to us about the mental component that goes into this and what has helped you and what hasn't? Yeah. So, well, I've been through a lot in my life. And uh, I've got a lot of uh, what I call trauma initiations, and I've really worked hard to turn it into a positive and trying to have a how am I going to help somebody else attitude about it is really the thing that helps me feel like I'm in control of it. Yeah, man, it's hard. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely hard. If I had just appreciated what God gave me, I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> like I wouldn't be in this <laughs> mode <laughs> because it was the scar tissue that led to the problems that led to the problems that led to the current situation. If I had just said, I accept myself for exactly what I am. I am perfect in my imperfection and I don't expect any other version of me. I bet I wouldn't have had to deal with any other version of me. It's almost like I manifested it by not accepting myself. And when I help clients do trauma release around this same stuff, because that's one of the things I do when I'm tattooing people, is um, it all comes down to, if I had just accepted myself, like, why are we conditioned to not accept who we are? All these beauty magazines are telling us you got to be skinnier, you got to be prettier, you got to be blonder. And we just go, okay, yeah, I got to be all those things. Instead of being like, nope, I am perfect right here as is, this is me and I love me. And it's like, we have to, um, we send ourselves through all of these circles trying to get around the fact that we're just perfect as we are. And we cause all these problems for ourselves. And I really just hope that future generations will just realize how divinely created and beautiful we are instead of trying to look outward. I know that it's been a really tough journey for you. But I will say the gift that you've given so many because of your experiences, I'm sure that you get messages all the time um, and you have experiences in, you know, tattooing someone all the time. I mean, it's very personal what you do, um, which is why we were so drawn to talk to you today. In the middle of this process, you did end up getting a tattoo um, after your mastectomy to have basically areolas, nipples tattooed onto your breasts so that they would appear. Because when you get a double mastectomy, you need to take the, you, the nipples removed completely, correct? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yes. sometimes they save them, but um, not in my case because uh, my, my genetic mutation is so aggressive. So I lost my nipples twice. I lost my breasts two or three oh, times man. now. <laughs> but you came out of that experience not necessarily satisfied with the tattoo job that was done on your breasts, realizing, you know, people need help, women need help. And, and, and to add to all this trauma by then trying to, um, to make someone feel more beautiful, and then it kind of, and then all of a sudden, someone is left unsatisfied, you didn't want to see that happen anymore. So at what point did you decide to form art, which is areola restorative tattooing? And how did you study this? How did you develop this idea um, did you become your own mentor? Yeah. So, um, 
once I realized that I was going to have my breasts removed and that I was probably going to lose my nipples too, I was like, okay, well, I work with some of the best tattoo artists on the planet. I work with some of the best realism artists around. I had been drawing realism for some time. I entered contests. I've won contests for my realistic drawings. So I figured somebody out there has to be better than me and doing this work. So I started looking around and if there was anyone out there, I probably would have found them because I was in a global being one of Canada's first female tattoo artists, I was already in a global community and nobody was doing it. And I was like, oh, here's my niche. So I went and took a a PMU, which means permanent makeup. And most of this tattooing is left in the hands of um, people who usually just do facial tattooing. So the first course that I took, I was unsatisfied with because they didn't really teach them how to draw and they were not teaching them about scar tissue. I started uh, doing scar cover-ups in the 90s. So I knew how to implant pigment into scar tissue. So when I realized kind of that gap, I felt like I needed to fill it. So I was already taking training and drawing nipples before I lost my breasts. And then I wrote a book about it. And uh, when I was recovering from my mastectomy and um, in all of that, I was like, I just realized there needs to be a new kind of training program. And I'm probably just a person to do it because I've been doing body tattooing for so long. I was already tattooing like 15, 16 years by then. And, uh, so I just decided to take matters into my own hands and create it. And I was sitting on the couch one day and I heard this like divine download and it was ART, Areola Reconstructive Tattoo. And I was like, that's the name of my business. I have to write a book. <laughs> so then I started working with some other PMU artists, which is permanent makeup, like I said, cosmetic tattooing. And I worked with this one lady and I taught her my methods. And then I asked her to do my nipples in in a class so that I would know what it was like to be tattooed in a class setting because I knew by then I wanted to teach. And uh, she just didn't understand the scar tissue. She caused more damage. This is a trainer, by the way. She caused more damage than I had before. And unfortunately, the outcome of that was that I felt worse about myself after I had nipples than I did when I didn't have nipples. So then I got really serious about doing this well and trying to do it right. So much of your life story and your journey is, it's just so obvious that this is what you're meant to do. You every you went through everything you went through so that you could pave the way for so many others. I mean, with your restorative tattooing, you you change people's lives. and And it truly is... You can change how women feel about their bodies. And it's such a key part of our bodies. Like we were saying, it's it's attached to our femininity, our sexuality, all of that. I know so much of your work is healing as well. Can you talk to us about that? And I've heard you talk about healing tattooing and restorative tattooing. And I believe they are two different things. Yes. So it's a two-part question. (laughs) Restorative tattooing is restoring the body to wholeness, obviously. I started off using the word reconstructive because that's what the industry was using. But I actually also had an interest in old cars. So I used to work in a car restoration shop (laughs) for a little bit when I was in high school. And I was like, I'm restoring the body. (laughs) So restoring the body to wholeness is the way that I see it. Now, the healing element comes in. I'm a Reiki master and... um, there's a there's a reconciliation that needs to happen when somebody has lost a body part or their identity with a body part because negative body dysmorphia can turn into depression it comes from the idea of a real or perceived flaw just like the anorexic who thinks she's fat same thing right so if this person has this like separation from their body like i did when i had my reduction and had the necrosis when i was younger i understand that separation i consider that an initiation like that's like a trauma initiation you know when you go through something and then you turn it into a positive like the path of the wounded healer (laughs) so um So I understand what it feels like to like, I don't even look at myself. So what I do is if they have emotions come up, I just ask them to come back into their body and breathe into the emotions and release the emotions. And then I take them through a little process that will end up with them accepting and even loving their body where they came in feeling very different about it. 
they're just hoping the tattoo will fix it. But when you take them, when you start working on a trauma site, uh, somebody can get really stress response activated. And if they get into that activation, the fight or flight response, because it's subconscious for them, because they were unconscious during the trauma, then if I didn't downregulate her from that and I just let her go about her life, the tattoo might remind her of that stress. Wow. I've never thought of that. Is there a moment in which you've been tattooing someone, um, specifically tattooing nipples on whether it was someone who had had to have their breasts removed for whatever medical reason they needed them that really that is stuck with you that or that initially maybe in your early years of, of doing these tattoos that really moved you to understand how important your work is? I think I have those interactions with each client. Um, the only thing that really sticks with me is my own experience, which I have a lot. I have a lot of experience around this. So I would draw on my own experience. But when I'm working on somebody, I hold space for them, right? You just be present for that person. When you're in that energy with that person, I just try to be present and hold space for them to go whatever, go through whatever they go through. I share that with them. It heals me a lot as well, like sharing that healing moment with them. But once I leave their energy, I have no recollection of it because that was the energy that we shared. So because of that, nothing really stands out to me on somebody else's experience, only my own, which has been pretty thorough. And I actually lost half of, I did get a big, beautiful mastectomy tattoo after I lost my breasts and my nipples after the bad nipple tattoos. And uh, I love that version of my body. But then because the reconstruction was recalled, a couple years ago, they cut out most of those tattoos. So I only have pieces of them left. Oh. Now. Do you find that the clients that you work with, they feel comfort in the fact, obviously, not only by how skilled you are at what you do and the energy that you're giving to them, but also that they understand that it's not very often someone can say, I understand how you feel, you know, especially in the work that you do. Um, but for so many, you can understand how they feel. Yeah, it's very important because breast cancer can be a really lonely road. Your family is afraid of losing you. Like just watching what my mother went through with her ovarian cancer. Um, everybody who loves her is afraid of losing her. Her friends don't understand her. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing. So they just kind of pull back. So I think the more you need the people around you, the less available they are because they're projecting their own fears or insecurities onto you. So sometimes... I know for a fact that sometimes I'm the only person who really sees their struggle. So I feel in that way, I feel blessed that I have gone through it because I can give them that like, oh my God, the drain sucked and we can have a laugh about it. And then it doesn't seem like such a terrible thing when you can share, like, um, how do they say, uh, a shared load is a lightened load. Mm. Like if you can share your burden with somebody, it's not so heavy, right? Yeah. Your very first tattoo you got <laughs> from the artist that is maybe not so talented or not as experienced as you. Do you still have it? I do. I do. I was like, this is where I came from. I'm never getting it covered up. It's really bad. It's supposed to be a rosebud and it looks like a <laughs> tulip. It's really bad. Scratchy lines and everything is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you kept it, though, as a constant <laughs> I know, reminder. and it was in a basement, like, <laughs> proper teen tattooing right there. I, I paid a pack of cigarettes for it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> to be young and have, like, no idea of any, like, future <laughs> issues that you might have with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about all of the incredible innovations that you've come up with, not only the specific way that you tattoo areolas and nipples. I mean, they're beautiful. I mean, when you when you look at the art that you create and, and the other artists that you've trained under you and what they're able to give um, to their your clients, it, they're truly beautiful when you see the before and afters. So I want to talk a little bit about each you know step that encouraged you to go farther and farther in um and just perfecting this art where you 
realized that you needed the temporary tattoos. You created those. You created different shapes. There's heart-shaped areolas. Well, you know, you the creativity and the beauty that you inject into something that could be exactly what you're saying. One of the most, if not one of the more, if not most traumatic scenarios of someone's life. Um, you offer them a heart-shaped areola <laughs> if they want. Um, what inspired you to kind of inject the joy and opportunity for joy in these moments? Um, all the loss that I went through and how much you actually learn to appreciate life. So once you actually face a lot of death and destruction around you, which I've seen a lot of, you know, um, it really teaches you to appreciate the little things and then try to exaggerate the little joys that we get in life. Um, so the way that I kind of run my life now is I'm like, if it'll make me laugh and I can make somebody else laugh, then I just do it. I just make the thing. I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. Like calling nipplebacks, nipplebacks. I used to call them like TNT, temporary nipple tattoos, like boom. There's a nipple. <laughs> and then me and my aunt were having a little heart to heart over a glass of wine one night. And she's like, well, what have you been up to? I'm like, you got to see this. I'm just throwing patents on them right now. I started making these years ago, but I'm like, uh, I showed her them. I'm like, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. I named the first one after my mom. You know, she thought that was hilarious. And, and she's like, oh, you know, we're Canadians. So she thought about the band Nickelback. And I really hope that they don't hate me for making a little play on words with their name. I think Chad, the singer, <laughs> his mother had breast cancer and he hasn't emailed me yet. So I'll be happy to talk to him if he wants me to change the name. But my aunt says, oh, it's like Nickelback, but Nippleback. I was like, oh my God, missing something? Here's your Nippleback. That's it. I'm changing the name. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're back. Now, can I ask, um, because I really don't know, and I'm sure our listeners feel this way too, the nipple, the temporary nipple tattoos, are those so that you um, go through the process of wondering whether you want a permanent nipple tattoo or yes. not? So part of it is that you okay. get to try them on and see how your body looks with them. And I've got different sizes and colors. So women can have a little bit of fun and the heart ones, like you mentioned. Uh, part of it is that we have to wait for the scars to not be red anymore before we can tattoo them. If you tattoo them too soon, you could cause more damage to them. So if a woman loses her nipples and she's having a hard time looking at herself in the mirror, like I did, like this is why I made them because I hated my reflection so much without nipples. It was just so hard for me to make sense of in my subconscious, then it'll make that part easier for her. And we know now that emotional healing is at least as important as physical healing. And this is a very powerful way for her to feel like she can do this. Like I can do this. I can get over this part because I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So it offers a lot of strength for that. And then some people can never get tattooed and they just buy hundreds of them. <laughs> I love though that 
beyond even just perfecting the tattoo process and and offering, you know, temporary tattoos. So you anyone could experiment with the shape and the color that they want. You specifically invented the first scarred practice skins and you patent them and you made sure that they represented all ethnicities. So I love that you've taken each step a step further to to imagine like, oh, I'm I'm know that I have this gift for the world, but I want to make sure I'm leaving this for others to be able to do in the right way. And how different it is just to tattoo on skin that is not scarred versus skin that is scarred. I, what was the process like creating this? And have you seen the the positive effects of the tattoo artists that you've trained be able to use these? Yeah. So I noticed in my training that how little people actually knew about tattooing scars. But because I'd started trying to cover up scars, I made a lot of mistakes when I was first learning because nobody was teaching it. I had to learn by making mistakes, unfortunately. I wish I could fix every one, you know? So my way of honoring those people is to help other tattoo artists from making those mistakes. So... I was like, we have to do something about this. I talked to my business partner, Samantha Ray, and I was just really fired up. I was like, we have to fix this problem. And I did a little design of an idea that I thought would look good. And this amazing thing happened. She is actually really skilled with silicone and she made it a higher quality than I could have ever dreamed. And she hand pours each one in her home studio. Like I just had an idea and she birthed it into this beautiful creation. Now, since she hand pours everyone, we've been really limited in who we could sell to. We haven't been able to pick up some of the bigger distributors who would like to work with us because she can only handle so much. But one thing that I do love about it is it's given me an ability to train so that my students become better than me. And I think that's a mark of a, of a good trainer, of a good teacher. So when I look at my students' work and it's better than mine, I get all excited about it. And I know that those scarred skins have been one of the biggest helps. They're helping a lot of people learn way more about like what skin conditions are and how to work on them so that they don't cause as much damage to their clients. They learn it off the body. I, I just want to also make the point that you and um and the other artists that you've trained have helped so many people, not just breast cancer survivors or anyone who's had a, a mastectomy before, but also uh, su- survivors of self-harm. You've also been very supportive in the trans community for anyone who's had top surgery. Uh, it's just so beautiful what you're offering the world in that even you just saying that I want anyone who I have the, you know, the opportunity to train, I want them to be better than me. If anyone is listening, who is now realizing, wow, maybe I want to get tattooed, or they know someone who's expressed wanting to get tattoos to cover their own scars. What would you say is step one? What should they do? Besides go to (laughs) stacyray.com. First of all, people are going to want to make sure that their scars aren't red any longer. So don't get tattooed until the scars are skin tone color again, then they're mature. And that gives you some time to find a really good tattoo artist in your area. I would not recommend going to anybody who's been tattooing under five years, because they'll probably make a lot of the mistakes like I made when I first started out. And they just don't understand how to read the biofeedback of the scar. A scar has to be tattooed a certain way. And it tells you how it has to be tattooed. So you have to have some level of expertise and mastery before you can really read what the scar is telling you back. Otherwise, you could cause damage. And I just don't want to see that happen. So there are a lot of really good scar tattoo artists. There's a movie coming out about it, actually, Unscarred Film. It should be coming out pretty soon. There's an organization that I work with, pink.org. So there is a lot of support around this. And there's a lot of really good tattoo artists, but I would just say, make sure that they really know how to draw designs that flow, like a clever design that is designed to take your eye past the scar so that you won't see the scar is going to be way more effective long-term. You're going to be way happier with it than just sticking a little tattoo over the scar, which brings your eye right to the scar. Work with somebody who understands composition and has a few years experience and then be open to them and trust them to design something beautiful for you. Don't micromanage it because they're going to see things a little bit different than you see them. That's such fantastic advice. And I know for any of our listeners who are also interested in 
restorative tattooing and learning the healing tattooing process. What advice do you have for them to enter on that journey in their life? Hmm. Well, if you find a good tattoo artist, then they can kind of make anything work. So I would say, especially for people who have self-harm scars, I have a self-harm scar practice skin now, but for people who have self-harm scars, I feel like get what you want. Don't think about like when you look at others' scar cover-ups and like, well, that works or that doesn't work. I just say like, just don't even worry about any of that. Just think about what you, what will make you feel great about your body or what will make you feel beautiful and then find a great tattoo artist and let them sort it out for you. Is, is there one thing that you tell every client that you work with or a mantra or something that you say in that moment or something that you take away, something that you can leave with our listeners today? When I'm working with somebody and I'm asking them to come into their body, if they're having a trauma experience or reminded of that trauma, um, I usually say to them, today's the day that changes. Are you ready to let it go? That's, that's really powerful on so many levels. That's a fantastic mantra. And then I might tell them some fruity little thing like, do you believe in the full moon? Maybe go and journal with a glass of wine and get that pain out of your body and rip it up. <laughs> Hey, there's a full moon tonight. That couldn't be more timely. There is a full moon tonight. I know. That's amazing. Well, Stacy Ray Weir, thank you so much for joining us today. Besides going to your lovely website, which you guys, StacyRayWeir.com, it is exceptional. Um, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they reach out if they would like to get any advice on anything? Okay, so um, me on Instagram is stacyray.art. That's uh, S-T-A-C-I-E-R-A-E dot A-R-T. Um, my Instagram for the people that I've trained and recommend, if you want to find somebody in your area, is heartists.inc, which is also the website. So that's H-E-A-R-T-I-S-T-S dot inc, heartists.inc. I love it. And uh, so if you want to find one of one of the people that one of my colleagues, so go to artist.inkhardest.inc.com. I guess if anybody wants to um, know a little bit more or find a recommendation lo- local to them, um, they can contact me at so that's hello at a r t s a c h o o l heartschool.inc. Hello at heartschool.inc. Any last uh, piece of wisdom that you want to leave our listeners with? We have a lot of younger listeners as well who are still learning to accept themselves and learn their their life story. Yeah. um, Just try to connect with your essence. And that's where you're going to find where you're meant to be and where you're meant to go in life anyways. Just be quiet with yourself. Connect with yourself. Try to connect with that divine feminine inside of you or divine masculine. And... uh, just be really accepting and, and have a lot of gratitude for the way that you were created because you are perfect in your imperfections and you don't have to wait until you're in your 40s to figure it out. <laughs> Stacy, thank you so much. Thank you for the gifts that you give to everyone who is fortunate enough to come across you. Um, what you're doing is, is beautiful. So thank you for shining your light in the world. researching Stacy, what was something that, uh, that caught you off guard or something that you learned within that process that, um, surprised you? Well, it's interesting. You know, my mom had breast cancer. And so this was a story that really meant a lot to me. And, um, she never had to have anything restorative done, but it got me thinking, what if she had, how, what would that experience have been like? And, um, I just, feel really emotional and grateful that people like Stacy have taken their life story that which she said wasn't easy and made turned it into something that can really help so many people. And uh, she's one of those that has herself helped a lot of people, but then in turn trained so many others to then help a lot of people. I feel like her web of effect in the world is just growing and growing. And I so appreciate all that she has done. And so what I've learned is how she's taken something and not only made it, how can I help others, but she's, how can I train others to help others to then continue to spread this acceptance and, and joy throughout the world. And I, I mean, I know we have not seen the last of her. This is just the beginning. 
I feel like Stacy would appreciate that you just saying all of that. Like it's it's exactly what you're saying. Like it's the ripple effect. You know, mm-hmm. she's like this beautiful droplet that's just this beautiful ripple effect to help everyone and. And then it got me thinking it's it's the nipple effect instead of ripple effect, which I think Stacey would like the play on words. I love the, or just even just her journey to creating these names of of these, you know, life changing uh, tools and and uh, methods for areola restorative tattooing. Um, so I think she would like instead of Stacy, instead of a, a ripple effect on the world, you're leaving a nipple effect on the world. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um <gasps> Guys, I hope she listens to this and uses that. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so too. If you want to check out more about Stacy Ray, just go to stacy.ray.com. Um also if you are a tattoo artist and you're interested, uh Stacy offers digital classes. So um with COVID she's created this incredible digital class so that you can learn and educate yourself on how um you can uh expand in her ripple effect, her beautiful ripple effect on the world. Stacey, thank you so much for what you do. And for all of the artists who train with you, thank you so much uh, for your gifts as well. We hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged. We'll have a new one waiting for you next week. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King and advertising partnership with ACAST.